Well, this morning we are going to look at uh, an issue, and, and you're going to have to pay really close attention to me, okay? Or you're going to get the wrong idea this morning. Fair enough. Have you ever thought you heard something, but you didn't hear something? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going out on a, a limb this morning because I'm, I, I want to share something, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And so this morning we're going, to look, we're going to look at this idea of life choice and we're going to look at religion uh, or relationship. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about relationship. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, conversion. We're going to talk a lot about discipleship, okay? Because uh, sometimes those issues uh, get lost, and, and the focus of what we're to be about as a church gets lost. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. But true relationship, genuine relationship, grows and deepens over time. It, it just doesn't happen. Amen? It, it takes a while. I mean, it's, it's not an instant thing. You can't pop it in the microwave and get full-blown relationship. You, I mean, you can't put instant flakes in a in a pot and boil it up and and like you have instant potatoes or grits or something like that you can't have relationship relationship is a long-term investment and and it's about two people investing all that they are in one another so when you or i have a genuine relationship with jesus over time that intimacy gets deeper and deeper and deeper i have a friend that that defines intimacy as into me you see I like that definition. And God's desire is for each of us, not, not just a few of us, not just the quote, quote, spiritual ones, because there are no quote, quote, spiritual ones, all right? We're all spiritual. God created us to be spiritual, all right? But some of us are in pursuing relationship, and some of us are meandering around in religion. But the, the reality is, is that, uh, that God's desire is for us to look deeply into who He is. I mean, He looks into us deeply. You do realize that, don't you? There's nothing that, that, that's going on in us that He doesn't already know about. I mean, we're not, we're not in a lead-lined room with all our secrets hidden. They're all on display to Him. But yet He wants us, even as He knows us, he wants us to know Him. He wants us to look into Him and be tra- transformed by what we see. And that only happens in relationship, where, where friendship develops, where there's trust and, and, there, and there's transparency and there's honesty. And over time, it deepens. And, and if this happens, and I'm going to say if this happens, we are progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We change. How many of you realize that, that when you spend a lot of time with someone, you become like that person? All right? Now, I'm, I'm not going to go as far to say as you look like that person, but you know what? Sometimes that happens. Uh, uh, when, when a husband and wife have been married for a long, long time, sometimes they begin to favor each other. Now, my prayer is that Kathy will never look like me. Because I think she's beautiful and I don't want her to look like me. But, but, but when, when, when we, we grow together and that love deepens and that relationship deepens. And so what happens in our relationship with Jesus is we become more like Jesus. We begin to think like Jesus. We begin to act like Jesus. We begin to talk like Jesus. Now theologians and, and preachers and teachers call this sanctification. All right, that, that's the big long word, but it just simply means that we, we are made holy. 
We, we, our, our, our lifestyle becomes one of holiness, and it's, it's a process. Yet when it comes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a lot of believers never make much progress. They've met Jesus, okay? They know Jesus on a first-name basis. They knew a, a few facts about Jesus, but they don't really know Him in a relational way. And what's happened is those people have become converts, but they've not become disciples. And there's a big difference, and we're going to talk about that this morning. So, so why is that? Why, why is it that, that, that there are believers whom Jesus has died for and whom Jesus has saved who, who, who don't have a genuine relationship? They don't. They don't know Him. And when I use the word know, I don't mean know about. I mean, in, in Hebrew, the word know means to experience. And when it talks about knowing someone, one of the, the ways that it's used, if you, if you look in the, in the first few chapters of Genesis, is it says, Adam knew Eve. Now, he didn't just know about her, he knew her. That was in an intimate, relational way. And so it's a word that has deep meaning, but it means to experience, not just to know here, but to know here. And there's a, there's a big difference between that 18 inches right there. We can know about Jesus, but we can also know Jesus. And that's what he wants. It's my personal belief, and, and this is just me, okay? But the, I believe the enemy has hijacked this process that every believer is supposed to naturally and normally go through. And he's done that by taking our focus off what Jesus intended the focus to be. Jesus was focused on discipleship. Okay? If you don't think so, study the Gospels closely. Jesus is baptized. He comes uh, he comes ashore, off he goes, 40 days in the wilderness, and then what happens? He begins to call disciples to himself. Now, typically, in, in that day, a disciple would decide, I want to be a disciple of yours. I want to be a, a student of yours. And they would join themselves to the teacher. Not in Jesus' case. Jesus said, I want you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. I want you to follow me. But Lord, no, no, follow me. But Lord, but Lord, no, 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 follow me. Follow me. And so Jesus begins to call, Scripture doesn't say apostles, it says disciples. And He began to pour into their lives and they begin to walk with Him. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go through this. But He focused on disciples. He, he focused on turning converts into fully functioning disciples who thought, and talked and acted like Jesus. In other words, he wanted those disciples to become chips off the old block. But the church has become confused in her focus sometimes. It happens from time to time. And, 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 and sometimes she becomes focused on conversion. Now, I, don't want you, I want you to listen to me this morning, okay? You're not going to hear me say anything about bad about conversion. Because conversion is essential. Amen? If you and I don't meet Jesus, we can't have a relationship. Amen? Okay, so when you leave here, Pastor Nelson didn't say that conversion is not important. It is important. It's just not the whole focus of Jesus. Jesus wants to birth babies. But He wants those babies to mature and become 
reproducing adults. And we reproduce by sharing the gospel. And when we share the gospel, guess what happens? Conversion takes place. And, but we don't leave those babies on the sidewalk. We don't leave those at the, at the altar. We, we, we disciple those converts. You know why we do that? So that they can mature. So that they can produce babies by sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? We got a problem, though, in the church. That's not happening very often. And the reason, I believe, is because we've become focused on the conversion aspect and we've forgotten about the discipleship. Every disciple experiences conversion. Amen? But not every conversion results in a disciple. Okay. But you know what? When we are focused on discipleship, Becoming like Jesus, in other words, then conversion naturally and normally takes place. It's just a byproduct. But when we get consumed with converts rather than disciples, the maturing process gets lost in the mix. And the babies either starve to death or they remain underdeveloped, malnourished, and deficient in their abilities. Years ago, and it's, it's been, I guess it's probably. In the early, oh, the late 80s maybe. And it's been a long time ago. I'll never forget watching two, uh, a news story uh, on, 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 I believe it was ABC. But it was about orphanages in Romania. And, and I'll, I'll never forget this story as long as I live. There's another story that I saw about Romania that, that, that affected me nearly as much. But, but they, Romania uh, was, was struggling under uh, communist rule. Ceausescu was the dictator and... There were more children than there were parents who could take care of them. And so what they did is they would put those kids in orphanages. And before long, the orphanages were overflowing and there weren't enough workers, there wasn't enough caregivers to take care of them. And I can remember them going in one of those orphanages and, 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 and many of the babies there didn't receive any attention hardly whatsoever. They didn't get the attention that they needed. They didn't get the love that they needed because the workers were just stretched to the max. All the, the best they could do was feed them and change them. And so I'll never forget this, but there were babies that were two and three years old lying in beds who could not roll over, whose heads were flat on the back because they never moved out of that position. They'd been born, they'd been birthed, but the maturity process, the maturity level didn't progress beyond where it was because there was no relationship. There was nobody to love them and, and to stimulate them and to exercise them and to, to pour out their lives in them. They were just simply there. They got fed and they got their diapers changed. But listen, that's not enough for a human baby and that's not enough for a baby in Christ. We have to pour uh, our lives into them. We have to interact with them. If there's no interaction, if there's no exercise, if there's no love, there's no growth. But yet religion says that our one and only responsibility as a church is to gain converts. I mean, that's been drilled into me since I was this high. Now, I believe we are to share the gospel everywhere we go. That's my number one job as a believer, all right? But it's not enough to 
throw seeds out there, birth babies, and leave them. I've got to be interacting with them and discipling them. I've got to be helping them grow. And so conversion or, or gaining converts, maybe is a better way of saying it, that's only the beginning of the responsibility. It, it's, it's only the beginning of the commission that Jesus gave the church. His desire was for the babies that are born to grow into adults. I've already said this. I'm going to say it again, though. He, he wants those babies that are born in Christ to become adults in Christ who can fully mature and, and who can have a relationship with Him who will then go out and share the gospel again and, 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 and converts become converted and, and they become disciples and they mature. That was the way the church was supposed to work. Now, it obviously has worked somewhat because here we are. Amen? How many of you, somebody else, shared the gospel with you and you came to faith in Christ? Okay? So it has worked somewhat. But not many believers ever share their faith with another person. And I, I've, I've listen, I, that's a hard thing just to talk to somebody you don't know. Amen? Terrifying, isn't it? But that's what Jesus expected. And he didn't necessarily expect us to go talk to people we didn't know. He, he, he wanted to start with the people we do know. Because w- when you talk to people you do know, it gets easier to share with people you don't know, right? Now, I'm going to come back to that. That's not, that's not the majority of this sermon, but, but I just want you to understand that. His desire... And his plan was to repopulate this planet with carbon copies of himself. He spoke of nations in the Great Commission. Not individuals, nations. He thought big. He wanted to, 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 to repopulate this planet. And, and he wanted to do it with fully functioning disciples, with Christians. That means little Christs with people who looked like Jesus, little Jesuses. Do you know what? We can't imitate what we are ignorant of. And we can't teach what we've not been taught. Therefore, we won't do what needs to be done. Several years ago, when we first planted the church, I used to be the copy master. Okay, I'm the guy that got all the copies made. And so we had no copier, we had no building. So I had to go to different places in town to get copies. And one day I went to, to make some copies. And I don't know, I, you know, I, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I'll do something one way a hundred times, and then the next time I do it 101, I'll do it a new way. I, I can't explain why, it just happens. So I took the original, put it on the screen, and made a copy. And I looked at that copy and thought, man, this is great. Took the original off, put the copy on there. Mashed the button, made another copy. Put, took it off, and before long, you know what happened? I had a blank piece of paper. Do you realize that when you make a copy of a copy, it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer? Jesus is the original. And when we make disciples who are copies of him, not us, they look like Jesus. 
But what happens over time, if we are not careful, is we take the original, we make a copy. The copy makes a copy, the copy makes a copy, the copy makes a copy, until the copy down here doesn't look like anything like the original. And folks, that is what has happened sometimes in the body of Christ. Listen, there is nothing wrong with loving teachers and pastors and people who pour into us. But they're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I don't even register on the scale if you think I do. Okay? I'm just telling you, I'm not Jesus. Don't copy or pattern yourself after me. Pattern yourself after Jesus. I'll never forget in preaching, uh, one of my preaching classes, our professor was telling us about teaching in in texas and 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 he was teaching uh and he had a certain group of students from a certain area in texas and all of those guys preached with their hand behind their ear and he just couldn't figure out so finally one day he just he said what is the deal why do you do this well brother so-and-so does this he's who taught me to preach he said why do you do it he said i don't know it was just he did it so all of us do it too you know what Brother so-and-so was deaf. Almost. That's the only way he could hear himself. Now we laugh about that, but that's what happens in us. We teach and we, we make disciples, but we don't make disciples of Jesus. We make disciples of ourselves. We become the, the copy of the copy of the copy that they copy. And what happens is... Those disciples eventually stop looking like Jesus and they look like us. Or they look like the denomination that they're a part of. Or they look like the section of the country that they live in. Or they look like whatever. You see, we need to make disciples of Jesus. Not copies of ourselves. One of the most misapplied passages of Scripture in all of the Bible, is Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, uh, 19 and 20. It's called, we call it the Great Commission. This is one of the, the first passages of Scripture I, I, I learned by heart. I, I've heard countless sermons preached on it. I, I've, I've seen denom- a, a denomination that was guided by it. And so it's a very familiar passage to me. But what happens is the great commission for most believers has turned into the great omission. I don't mean that the church has ignored it, okay? But rather we have neglected it by redefining what Jesus meant by it. We focused on the conversions, the converts, rather than on the finished product, the disciples. So I want you, I'm going to read this text. I want you to let it speak. And I want you to hear it like the very first time. Jesus, this is the last thing, one of the last things he says to his disciples. He says, I want you to go therefore. And literally, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, the, the, the tense of that word is, it means as you are going. That's literally the translation. As you are going. Make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He says make disciples of all nations. In other words, we, to, we are to go to the nations. We're not, we're not just to stay right here. Our, 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 our desire for discipleship is to discipleship the whole world. 
See, Jesus thought big. He thought big. And he said, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He, he didn't say, I want you to make converts. I want you to make disciples. Now remember, conversion is the first step of discipleship. All right? So I'm not saying we don't make converts. I'm saying that's not the end-all, be-all. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate is fully formed disciples that can reproduce themselves. How many of you realize, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Jesus poured his life into how many people? Twelve. Twelve guys. Think about that for a minute. Most of them were blue-collar, hard-working guys. He poured his life into 12 of them. He didn't pour his life into 10,000 of them. He poured it into 12. You know what that says to me? I can't disciple 10,000 people. I can only disciple a handful. Do y'all realize that? No pastor can disciple thousands and thousands and thousands. He can't disciple hundreds. He can only disciple a handful. I would say, I'm not Jesus, so 12 would be auspicious for me, maybe three or four. But you know what? Those three or four, if I do a good job, can disciple three or four more. And three or four more. And three or four more. And pretty soon, what happens? You disciple the nations. See, we come at it the wrong way. We come at it with thousands and thousands and thousands. And and God says, no, I want you to take care of twos and threes. I will never, never forget this. I mean, you may be a person who doesn't believe God speaks to you, but I do. I can remember uh, in the midst of my ministry, I I had an office on the backside of nowhere. I didn't get to preach very often. Uh, And I can just remember crying out and complaining to God. God, you call me to preach. You call me to teach. But I don't get to do that. I don't, you know, and and God spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you this morning. God said, if you'll take care of the ones and the twos, I'll take care of the thousands. I heard that with my ears, just like he said it out loud. I've never forgot that. If I'll, take, if I'll be faithful in the ones and the twos, he'll take care of the thousands. That's what Jesus did. That was the kind of discipleship method that Jesus used. You see, the Great Commission is about disciples. It's about witnesses who lived out Jesus in living color. Students who so absorbed the lessons of their teacher that you couldn't tell the students from the teacher. I mean, you look at these, these early guys as they preach and as they, as, they, as they heal and as they cast out demons. They're doing the same thing Jesus did. And guys, if you don't realize, whether you realize it or not, these 12 guys, 11, and they picked a new one, these 12 guys in less than 300 years turned the known world upside down. How did they do that? Through disciples. They poured their lives into groups and those groups poured their lives into individuals and those individuals poured their lives into individuals and on and on and on it went. 
And what happened is, all of a sudden, you have sons and daughters who look like the Father. And isn't that why Jesus came? Jesus, uh, when, when we do this, we're only doing what Jesus did. Scripture tells us that Jesus fleshed out the Father. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18, at the very end of that passage, which is, 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 is beyond, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around John chapter 1. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then at the very end of that, that passage, Jesus, uh, John says, Jesus explained God. He explained him. That word is in the Greek is exegete. And and when you go to when you go to seminary and Bible college, they teach you to exegete scripture. They teach you to unveil it, to pull back the curtain from it so that you can see it. Jesus pulled back the curtain on God. And when they looked at Jesus, guess what? They were looking at God. I mean, that's exactly what he said to, to his disciples in John chapter 14, 11. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's the essence of what real discipleship is. When, when they pull back the veil on us, they ought to be able to see not us, but Jesus. When we pour into people, we ought to pour into Je- we ought to pour Jesus into them. Listen, I don't have anything that anybody really needs in and of myself. Okay, I don't have a lot of money, and and I'm not that smart. Okay, but I got Jesus, and I'm realizing more and more that the only thing I have to give away is Jesus, because that's the only thing that will last. And discipleship, I want to say this, and I'm going to hit this kind of quick, but discipleship begins with conversion. Every believer must have a conversion experience. They must have a salvation experience, a moment when that person is born again by grace through faith. Amen? That's what Scripture says. That's what the Bible teaches. But this salvation experience includes some things. It it includes a heartfelt repentance. And that repentance means to turn. It doesn't just mean to turn. It means to return to God. That's what it means in the Old Testament. When somebody repented, they returned to God. They didn't just turn. You know, if I'm confused and I just turn, I'm still confused. The prodigal son, he didn't just turn from the pig pen. He turned and he went back to the house. He went back to the father's house. He returned to God. And so there's got to be heartfelt repentance and there's got to be, and here's where we, it doesn't always sometimes take place. There's got to be a renewal of the mind and a renewal of the heart. Things have to begin to change. How fast? I don't know. How big a change do you need? Okay, that's up to God. But there has to be repentance and there has to be a renewal of the mind and the heart. There, there's that change of direction. There's that return back to God. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18.3. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted, unless you are turned and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So conversion is essential. Conversion, but conversion is only the first step where God wants to take us. It's a critical moment. It's an essential moment. But it's not the end. It's simply the first step 
in a critical, eternal relationship with God. And it births me. What happens is it births me, uh, translates me literally from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. It births me into the kingdom of God so that I can enjoy a relationship. You see, when, when, when I'm birthed into the kingdom of God and all of a sudden I begin to enjoy that relationship with God, nothing can separate me from Him. There's nothing that blocks me from getting to Him. There's not, nothing there. He doesn't have anything established and, and there's nothing in me that keeps me from, from Him. It, it, there's nothing that, that pushes me away. But listen, conversion doesn't make that relationship automatic. I have to pursue it. I have to get after it somewhat. So a conversion begins the discipleship problem, I mean the process, but discipleship ensures genuine relationship. But sadly, most Christians have not been taught that essential lesson. Now I'm a pastor, okay, and, and, and from time to time I get together with pastors, okay? I keep that on a minimum, but I do do it, okay? Because when pastors get together and they start talking, you know what they talk about? Y'all all know. Not the crazy church members, okay? Somewhere they'll talk about that, but that's not usually the first thing. If they're really wanting to impress, you know what they talk about? Numbers. They talk about conversions, membership, and finances. Okay? Yeah, conversions, they usually measure, they usually measure conversions and baptisms, okay? Now, I have never been asked by another pastor how many disciples we have at Eagle Spring Church. Okay? We don't think that way. But religion bases pastoral success on conversions and membership and finances. You know what? God has not called me to membership, baptisms, and finances. He has called me to make disciples. I've already told you, I'm limited in how many I'm going to be able to make. So I've got to make really good ones so that they can make really good ones so that they can make really good ones. Listen, if, if, if you focus... On, on numbers, you're going to be disappointed. You know why? Because there's always somebody who's got better numbers. If you focus on, on being, uh, uh, you know, I think, you, I think as a pastor, you ought to be a, uh, you ought, you ought to be a good pa- a preacher, a, a good teacher. I think it's something that, that you spend time. But if, if you're concerned about somebody else who's better than you, hey, the woods are full of them. Okay? I mean, there's always somebody better. That's just the way it is. So we've got to focus on what Jesus focused on. Jesus wasn't worried whether they thought he was a great preacher or not. He was worried about his disciples. He fo- and I mean by that, I mean he was focused on his disciples. When all that hoopla started, you know what Jesus would do? He'd gather his little chicks up. He'd flutter his wings out, gather them up, and he'd hurry them off away from the crowd. You know why? Because the crowd can poison you. The crowd's all hung up in religion. Jesus is not. 
And so what, what would happen is, instead of, uh, of, of talking about numbers, he would talk about discipleship. He would talk about them becoming like him, becoming like the Father. So Jesus bases his, uh, his definition of spiritual success on fully formed disciples. Because fully formed disciples reproduce Jesus in living color. They reach their communities. They reach their schools. They reach their workplaces. Listen, they replicate what they have experienced in their relationship to Jesus. Now, where did this idea that conversion is the most important thing come from? Well, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. You may or may not be aware of this. But for the first 300 years or so, uh, after Christ uh, ascended into heaven, Christianity was persecuted from time to time. It was not the be-all, the hippest group, all right? It wasn't the one everybody wanted to be a part of. And sometimes it was persecuted. And by that I mean sometimes it was mild persecution and sometimes it was deadly persecution. Crucifixions fed to the animals, slaughtered. All right? And then a man named Constantine becomes emperor, or he, he's vying for the, the, to be the emperor of Rome. The, the, the government's kind of split a little bit. And he has a vision. Now, Constantine's as pagan as pagan can be, all right? But he has a vision. He has a vision of the cross in the sky. And he hears these words, conquer in the sign, conquer in this sign. I'm paraphrasing. And so what he did is he painted crosses on their, their shields, had him a banner made with a shield, and he, he wins this tremendous battle that cements him into leadership. Now, Constantine begins to investigate a little bit, and he understands this is a sign of the Christians. And so he makes some favorable decisions. It's called the the Edict of Milan, and it gave the church legal status. All of a sudden, the church, the Christian church, becomes legal. In other words, not against the law to be one, which is a big deal, all right? And, and, and we don't know, I mean, there's debate as to whether Constantine was, was saved or not saved, but I do know this, until you were, they were pretty convinced you were saved, they wouldn't baptize you. They didn't baptize him until the moments before he died. Because if you went into eternity unbaptized, it was sure you were going to hell. So there's some question as to where Constantine was really saved or not. Okay, But then after he dies in, in 380 A.D., there's an edict. And it, makes, it doesn't just make the church legal. It makes them the state religion of Rome. In other words, everybody has to become a Christian. Now, when the Roman armies go out and they conquer an army, you know what they would do? They would line them up and they would march them to a stream and they would give them the opportunity to march through that stream as a form of baptism and join the Christian church. Or they died on the banks by the sword. Now, what would you do? Man, I'd be in the water doing... Loppity flips and cannonballs, okay? That's what they did. And that happened over and over and over all throughout Europe 
And it didn't just stop with the Roman Empire. When the Spanish came to the United States and to Central America and to Mexico, guess what they did? The same thing. And what happened is you have this tremendous influx of pagan people who come into the church and go on the church roll. They're members. And what happens is church membership exploded. And church finances exploded. And guess what? Disciples went down the commode. Because most of them were not disciples, all right? Most of them were not even saved. And here we are today. Reckon where we got the copy of what we think we're supposed to be from. We may not even be aware that the copy we've used to copy may have not even been a viable copy. It may have smelled like Jesus, looked like Jesus a little bit, sounded like Jesus a little bit, but it wasn't Jesus. Y'all understand where I'm at here? Okay. There was no change of heart in many, many, many of these people. Listen, when, when you are forced to do something or die, you do whatever you have to. And guess what happened? These folks brought their paganism into Christianity. And we just Christianized it. We didn't get rid of it. You say, well, I know that happens in that church. Well, no, that happens in all churches. All right? The Protestant Reformation regained a lot of things, but it didn't regain everything. You've got to remember, these guys were coming out of a church, and so they swung to the opposite side. Because they didn't want to look like anything that this church looked like. Somewhere in the middle of that was where Jesus was. Does that make sense? And what happened is those, those converts never became disciples. And that practice polluted the purity of the church. And as a result of that, a ton of the things that Jesus gave us disappeared. Can you, I don't know if you can imagine this, but can you imagine not having a Bible? How many of you have a Bible? How many of you have more than a Bible? Okay. Listen, in the world where most people live from about, well, I, they didn't have Bibles in 300 A.D. because the canon wasn't completed yet. They had letters and copies of letters. But from then on, they don't have Bibles. They don't, most people don't even know anybody that does. So they don't know what the Word of God says. They have to listen to the priest or the, the teacher that's, that's in their village. They have to accept that he's a copy of the original. So, so they, they don't have Bibles. They, 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 the, the idea that every believer is a priest disappeared. The gifts of the Spirit all of a sudden get hijacked. They become the, the domain of the, of the bishop, the cardinal. Those in the hierarchy. The, the baptism becomes, instead of baptism being a, a symbol of people who have been converted and who have come to Christ and who are ready to follow Christ, it becomes the source of salvation. If you're not baptized, listen, it was already becoming that 300 years after Jesus. Read the account of Constantine. He believed in his mind that as long as I'm baptized, when I die, I'll go to heaven. Instead of grace through faith. 
Sanctification becomes something you can earn rather than something that, that's given to you, that, that, that God has authority over. And so we've lost what it means to be discipled. And listen, I am thankful for the Reformation, but it did not reclaim everything. We are always reforming. We are always reclaiming. We're always weighing truth and lies and getting rid of the lies. The problem is religion wants you to hang on to the lies. Yeah, but this is what your mama believed and your grandmama and your great-grandmama and your great-great-grandmama. Okay, if it's a lie, it's a lie. You say, well, Nelson, how do we find out what the truth is? We got a copy of the truth. You say, well, I can't interpret it. It's in English. You can get it in any kind of English you want. Listen, we have a pretty credible witness of what Jesus looks like, what God is like right here. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right here's where it starts. It's His love letter. He has written to us. He's, he's put us in such a time where it's, it's so accessible to us. I can read it. I can listen to it on my cell phone. I can plug it in my CD player. I can go to sleep with it on my headphones. I'll say this, you can't sleep on it like this and get it though. You have to hear it. And so, if we'll just listen to the, the love letter that He sent us, if we'll just read it, we'll pick up a ton of stuff. Are there some passages in there that are hard to understand? You better believe it. I'm still wrestling with some passages. And I expect I'll be wrestling with them till I get to heaven. And I know some of y'all, well, that's, you can ask, I'm not going to ask Jesus anything. I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to be glad I'm there. There's nothing that I'll need to know that I don't already know by then. Okay? But, but there are some tough passages. And I'm not saying there's not, and there's differences of opinion. Okay? Listen, most of the differences of opinion are not on essentials. The essentials are that Jesus Christ is God. That He was born of a virgin. That He died on the cross. That He lived a sinless life. That He was raised from the dead. Now if you can believe that, Scripture says you confess it with your mouth, and you will be saved. You will be converted. Alright? That's essential. The other stuff is important. I'm not saying that it's not. But you know what? God's not going to check you at the gate and say, Hey, you had this end time view. Sorry, son, can't come in. He's going to look at me and say, You know what? You look like my son Jesus. Come on now. That's it. He's not going to ask you which mode of baptism, although I'm pretty firm and staunch and I have no doubts he meant immersion, but he's not going to, he's not going to say, hey, you were sprinkled, I'm sorry. We'll have to redunk you before we let you in the gate. It's not going to happen, okay? Well, you didn't read the King James Version. Y'all read that other version. None of that is, makes a, I'm, I'm choosing my words right now very carefully, okay? That's not the essentials. We've majored on mole holes. 
instead of the mountains. What's important? We've majored on the minors. Religion loves to make the minors the majors. Because what does religion do? It separates. Jesus never started a war. Religion does, though. Jesus never divided except lost and saved, okay? Those that would believe, those wouldn't believe. He doesn't divide groups into, I hate you. No, I hate you more. Well, you don't believe this. Well, we believe this. That's not what Jesus did. That's religion, folks. And what's happened is we've made copies of copies that we've seen and copies that they've seen and copies that they've seen. And and somewhere along the process, the copy blanked out. And we don't look very much like Jesus sometimes. Listen to what Jesus. He clearly declared to to his disciples in in this passage in Matthew in verse 20. In that commission to his disciples. He says, teaching them. This is the converts. Okay? Those you've, you've brought to Jesus Christ. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The church today, listen, we can't even agree on what all that I've commanded you means. We're still arguing over the the gifts of the Spirit. We're arguing over how Christ is going to return, what kind of baptism, if healing is real, if demons are real, if end times, on and on and on it goes. And we wonder why most churches would rather concentrate on converts. Instead of disciples. Can I just tell you something? When you truly become a disciple of Jesus, the things that are not nearly as important begin to settle. And the important things begin to rise up. And all of a sudden, you're interested in things your friends are not so much interested in. You're interested in walking in certain ways that maybe your friends are not interested in. And you know what happens? Discipleship begins to separate you. Most churches don't want that. I don't know very many pastors who want their people to know more than he does. Listen, I'm working as hard as I can to tell you everything I know so I can work myself out of a job. All right? I, I'm on. I'm being on. I want my, I want my disciples that, that, that I pour Jesus into. I want the ceiling that I reach to be the launching pad from which they go on. I I want them to change the world if I don't get to change it, all right? I don't want them to, I don't want to withhold things I've learned from from people that are hungry for Jesus because I'm afraid they'll replace me. Heck, replace me. Get somebody else smarter. It's it's okay. I'll preach somewhere else next Sunday. Maybe on the street corner. What I'm saying is, is if we live like that, we never become disciples and we never share the cross. We never share the gospel. The, re- the average reason that, that nothing's happening in most churches is because babies can't raise babies past the place where they have progressed. Children can't raise children into adults. I can only take you where I've been. I can tell you about where I want to go, but I can't tell you what it's like because I've never been there. Does that make sense? So I'm going to pursue and try to get there. And everything I learn, I'm going to share with somebody. And maybe if I don't make it, they will. 
Maybe I'll be the bridge they crawl over to get to the place where I wanted to go. That's the kind of the way I look at it. But what happens is, is, is that the reason most people never share the gospel with anybody else is because it's not important enough to them. They haven't grasped how important that gospel was and what it did in their own life. Listen, we can't disciple another person if we're not even concerned enough to share our faith with other people because we don't have a lot of relationship with Jesus. We, we don't have very much relationship with Jesus. We, we've got fire insurance, okay? I'm not questioning anybody's salvation this morning. But listen, fire insurance is not all there is. Some of you, I know, don't even like me using that phrase, but it, it communicates, okay? It communicates. They've been converted, but the discipleship process, that, that relationship that comes from, from just knowing more of Jesus, going after Jesus, doesn't exist. Listen, soul winning is essential. It's essential to us. Sharing the gospel is critical. If we don't tell people, they're not going to hear. I used to believe everybody knew who Jesus was, especially in the state of Alabama. But in the 1980s, I worked with this young man who every morning when he got to work, it sounded like a helicopter in his car. If you know what that is, you'll know what it is, okay? If you don't, it's okay. He'd never, I, was, I, I was talking to him one day, and we got to talking about Jesus, and he said, man, I, you know what? I don't know anything about Jesus. I said, where were you raised? Well, right down here, off, I said, you've never heard of Jesus? Oh, I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about it. It, it shocked me. Listen, that's not, that's not something that's rare. That's something that's very common. And we're the only ones who can change that. We have to invest in people so that they become disciples. Mature disciples grasp the importance of sharing their faith and leading the, the converts that they have into maturity in Christ. It's Listen, conversion is, 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 a, is, a, is a premier event, but, but discipleship is the process of, of experiencing God in relationship. That's what discipleship really is. It's not something we do. It's a relationship that we are in. He's making disciples out of us. Jesus was far more concerned about your relationship and my relationship with God than he was in some celestial fire insurance policy. If he wanted to give us fire insurance, listen, he wouldn't have had to come. He could have done something else. But he wanted more than that, folks. He wanted relationship. He, he didn't die to purchase us an eternal vacation home in the sky by and by. That wasn't why he died on the cross. He died to restore our relationship with God. When Adam sinned, that relationship was severed. And no matter how close anybody got to God, and I mean Abraham, who's called a friend of God, Moses, who, 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 who saw the, the bush burning and the glory of God, David, who, who God says has my own heart, there was always a separation that could not be bridged until Jesus. And Jesus removed the separation. And now, folks, we can do what they couldn't do. We can connect heart to heart without anything there. Listen, when you tell somebody about Jesus and you share that fact, 
that'll get their attention because they're looking to connect with somebody. They're desperately wanting a place where they're accepted. And Jesus accepts us. And the only way you and I will ever step into the fullness of that relationship is by becoming a disciple. So don't buy the, the lie of religion. Don't, 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 don't buy the lies. Embrace the life choice of relationship. Conversion is the first step. It's essential. It's the key. But becoming a disciple is the ultimate and enduring fulfillment of this journey. I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to close with this. Jesus, he says to, as he, as he reaches out to these guys on this little fishing boat, he says, follow me. Follow me. In other words, Walk with me. Come live life with me. Learn from me. Be my disciple. Follow me. And then he says this, And I will make you fishers of men. I will never be a fisher of man until I follow Jesus. I will never be an evangelist until I first become a disciple. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the answer to the evangelism problem in this church is discipleship. If we become disciples, followers of Jesus, we will become evangelists. The gospel will take forth. It will go forth. You and I, if we become true disciples, if we become true participants of an intimate relationship in Jesus, you know what Jesus will do? He'll make sure we have so many converts we don't know what to do. But why would He give us babies to take care of? If we're not taking care of babies. Why would he give other babies. Babies to take care of. Does that make sense? We pray for revival. Why would we. Why would God give us revival. When we're not preparing ourselves. To be in it. We're not getting ready for it. We think. All God wants to do is. Wave his hand. A little fairy dust. And everything goes crazy. And, and people just come to. That's not how God works. God is into conserving the gains that are made. In other words, we have to disciple those that come. We have to, to mature those that are babies. Or what happens is those babies, at worst, die. Fall away. And at best, become stunted examples like those children in Romania with flat heads who couldn't roll over to the left or to the right, and yet they were three years old. You know what? When you're three years old, you're already walking and talking, aren't you? You're running by that time. All they could do was lay there. Listen, a disciple is one who looks like his teacher. God's calling us to be disciples because if I become a disciple, my relationship will deepen. The closer I get to Him, the deeper the relationship I have. The more time I spend with Him, you say, well, what do I do when I spend time with Him? Sometimes just sit and be quiet. Shut up. Sometimes you just you read the book. Well, I don't understand everything. Well, it, you know what? Mark Twain said it wasn't the things he didn't understand that bothered him. It was the things he did understand. And he was as lost as he could be.
if you'll just if you'll just focus your attention on Jesus, Jesus will teach you. He will pour into you. He will draw you to Himself. He will make you a disciple. Listen, we got to become disciples, folks, if we're going to become intimate with Jesus. Otherwise, we don't know Him. Couldn't pick Him out in a crowd. You've heard me say this several times, but when Jesus walked into the temple, and if you know the, the gospel stories, there was debate after debate after debate with the theologians and the scholars of his day. See, they had memorized the book, could quote it verse, chapter, they, 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 they thought they knew the book. They thought they knew what it meant. And yet when the one who spoke the book stood in their midst, the living word, they did not recognize him. They couldn't pick him out. Because there's going to be a lot of folks that get to heaven they're not going to be real sure. Okay? I'm, I, I don't plan on being one of those. Okay? Because I'm, I'm going to pursue that relationship. They're going to show their policy when they get to the door. But they're not going to really know who Jesus is because they've never invested any time in Him. They've never focused on Him. I want to encourage you this morning. Start where you're at. Just start where you're at. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus and you've got a good relationship. Then let me encourage you and push you on because there's more. And maybe you're just getting started in your relationship. You hear this stuff and you think, man, that's what I want because this religious stuff I've got is about as dry as it can be. Then let me just encourage you. Talk to Him. You say, well, how do I talk to Him? Just like you talk to somebody else. You mean there's not a language I have to use or certain vocabulary? No. Religion says there is, but not in relationship. You just talk to Him. And then when, when, when you're through talking, you listen. I would suggest you do it the other way. Listen first, and then talk. And you just begin to do that. And you say, well, you know, I'm going to feel stupid sitting in a room talking to myself. Okay, you can talk to yourself, or you can talk to God. When you talk to God, He talks back. Well, how will I know it's Him? You'll know. You'll know. There won't be any doubt. If, you really, if your heart's really turned to Him to know Him, there won't be any doubt. He'll make sure you know who He is. Okay? Get the, get the Word out. Don't start in Leviticus. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. Don't start there unless you want to read about the same plate for 29 chapters, 29 times. Okay, don't, don't go there. Go to the Gospels. Start in the, in the Gospel of John. Just, and just start reading. You say, well, what about Paul? Leave Paul for a while and let the Holy Spirit introduce you to Jesus because we're not disciples of Paul. We're disciples of Jesus. Paul could say this, imitate me because I imitate him. 
He was a carbon copy, but he's not who we copy ourselves after. Yeah, but Paul said, forget about him for a while and let the Holy Spirit introduce you to Jesus. Linger in some of those passages. You will see things that you've never seen before. They will start to speak to your heart. Don't forsake getting together with other people who love Jesus because they'll spur a passion in you. There's nothing that that makes me more hungry for Jesus than to talk to a friend of mine or, or to listen to somebody and I can hear their passion and their love for Jesus and it makes me realize, you know what, I don't love Jesus as much as he does, but I want to or as she does. There are all kinds of things that you can be doing. Just pick one of them and start. Because here's not what's going to happen when you get to heaven. You're not going to just get everything. All right? You're going to be perfected, okay? But you may have to go to the remedial class. That's why the Holy Spirit uses what we've learned. Learn it now. Invest yourselves in it now. And become disciples. And as you're becoming a disciple, let me tell you what will happen. You will get just so full of Jesus that you can't contain it. And all of a sudden, you will, you will spit it out on somebody else. You know what the Bible calls that? Witnessing. It does, witnessing is not door cracks, you get your foot in that door. So, Nelson, where'd you learn that? I learned it from the best, Okay. <laughs> That's not witnessing. Witnessing is when I just share how much I love Jesus. All the other gets you is a door slammed in your face most of the time. But when you just share Jesus, you know what? Nobody is turned off by Jesus. The world is hungry to see a genuine copy of Jesus. They don't want to see a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. They want to see a copy of Jesus. They want to be able to touch Jesus through you. Folks, we have high responsibility. But we have great privilege. Because we get to be copied and recopied and recopied over and over in the image of Christ if we will pursue Him. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to stop this morning. I could go on and on and on. I've gone on long enough. Become a disciple. Make a life choice to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a convert of Jesus. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.